Welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is September 29th. I'm here at Bulls Lair in New York with Rodney. Um, and we have, I guess you're from Sydney, uh, Len Kolf from Atlantic Lithium, which just dual listed on the ASX after publishing uh, a new updated, you know, pre-feasibility study about their project in Ghana. So we're going to talk for the first time um, to Len We've been working, we've been an advisor to, invested in Atlantic, I think since uh, the middle of last year. And, uh, you know, you were just main board, kind of London listed, but we're very much uh, historically, viewers of our channel know Rodney in particular has been a, a huge advocate for the fastest way to get lithium units into an undersupplied market are, are spodumene units. Uh, and if they could be dense media separation only kind of flow sheets, DMS only, that's also, you know, favored. So in, in a similar way, we've compared you to, I think, Sigma Lithium and Core Lithium from a, a you know, a project type as a, a DMS only. And then there's a number, you know, from a, a relative comparable basis on the ASX, there are a number of other, maybe non-DMS, but nevertheless, spodumene developers like Liontown or following in the footsteps of Pilbara and Altura and, and, and others that you will now be benchmarked to now that you're listed on the ASX. The, the aim is lame, uh, we often say, from a liquidity point of view and from a valuation point of view, but that's how you know Iron Ridge, the former company, kind of got started. If you could talk a little bit about the history and your relationship with, you know, Vince Mascolo and, and how you found this positive, not, not too much on the history because we want to go into the PFS and other items, but Atlantic's listed in addition to the ASX, A11.AX, and in London, ALL, I guess, .L, you also have an OTC listing in the United States, ALLIF, I own shares in that, you know, in my retirement account. And um, I also own, you know, some London shares, but I plan to convert my London shares to ASX shares, which I think some other people will do because um, you did list without, you know, raising much money. I think it was a block trade from Vincent Mascolo's estate. So there's not a lot of float in Australia at present. If you could talk a little bit about that as part of that as always, nothing that we're saying here is financial advice, um, but we do advise Atlantic and, and Rodney earlier this year, part of our series, you know, equity overview with Rodney Hooper, put out, you know, a 10, 15 minute video summarizing his thoughts on the scoping study Atlantic had at that time. And Rodney will be, you know, putting out, you know, an update soon on, you know, on the new PFS, but you are covered by Canaccord out of London. Who, I forget exactly what their target price is, but it, it was very high, I remember, relative to your existing stock price. Um, yeah, it was 89p, I think, from memory. 89p, and you're currently trading around 38, 39p. Okay, so with that very long introduction, Len, uh, Rodney's going to do most of the questioning from here, but uh, why don't you just uh, give us some background to the Atlantic story, your history, and, and then we'll go into the current state yeah. of play. Great. Thanks, Howard. And good to see you again, guys, and Rodney. Uh, good to be here. Um, yeah, and lots to talk about on the Atlantic side with our, our listing and, and the PFS that's come out that continues to de-risk this fantastic project. Yeah, Atlantic Lithium, for some of you you're aware, we used to be called Iron Ridge Resources. 
And um, it was um, the former and founding CEO, Vincent Mascolo, who sadly passed away early this year, uh, who actually founded this company back in 2014, IPO'd it. Uh, and that was on the back of some grassroots iron ore assets in Gabon, hence the name Iron Ridge Resources. And also hence why we were listed on AIM at the time, because you know, ASX wasn't really following many West African iron ore stories. So that's kind of that bit of a history there. The iron ore project didn't deliver, iron ore prices tanked, and Vince and I were both in the airport in Perth going, you know, shit, what, what do we do now? We have to think of something. You know, fortuitously, the company was, you know, had a healthy treasury. And it was a fantastic time to start looking for some other assets. So um, we decided to go on the hunt and through that process decided to build a diversified portfolio in gold. And we've been following the Gulamina story at the time. That was with a guy called Kevin Joyce at uh, Barumian Gold at the time. Um, so decided to do gold and lithium in West Africa, not just one jurisdiction, but multi-jurisdiction, multi-commodity because of our experience, my experience personally in Liberia and Ebola, that kind of put a whole stop to a project I was working on there. And our experience in Iron Ridge with just a, a an iron ore project in Gabon and the iron ore market tanking. So that, that was kind of the history there. That portfolio that we put together basically, you know, delivered a discovery in Ghana, Ghana's first hard rock spodumene pegmatite discovery. So when we came in and made this lithium discovery that just blew a lot of people away and and really demonstrated that Ghana isn't a mature exploration field. It's a, it's a grassroots exploration field where you can make new discoveries. In our case, a hard rock spodumene pegmatite discovery that's within a kilometer to the national highway of Takaradi. And with 100 kilometers or 110 kilometers to the operating deep sea port of Takaradi, and within 100 kilometers of the capital Accra, it's just been sitting there this whole time. We were lucky enough to remake this discovery and relocate it on the ground. And we renamed Iron Ridge Resources Atlantic Lithium because we shared the seaboard with the Atlantic Ocean with uh, our uh, JV partners through the Piedmont funding agreement, uh, who are also on the Atlantic seaboard. So there's a bit of that history around the, the naming. Uh, and we thought it was very fitting in our naming around, um, you know, where, where this whole EV revolution is moving to in terms of the American seaboard, the European seaboard and that Atlantic Ocean that, that fits in all of those and how Africa is going to be an integral part of that future. And that, by the way, was is one of was Vincent's pick. So um, it was Vincent's name that he he um, came up with, which I think is really fitting. It's a, um, it's a it's a brilliant name. I was uh, I've been trying to figure out a, a narrative with kind of like NATO, you know, the North Atlantic, you know, treaty yeah. organization to just kind of figure out like you know, not destined for China, you know, spodumene. But you mentioned Piedmont there. Are, earning into a 50% ownership, but uh, Ghana is one of the few places in the world where you can have competition, you know, with China and non-China players, I guess, for the other 50%. That's something we could yeah. talk about a little bit later, but, you know, th there's a lot of places that are currently off limits for China and Argentina is not one of them. And we've seen recently, you know, Ganfeng buy into, you know, an Argentine asset at a very high price. 
after buying into an African project, you know, which is somewhat comparable in allele lithium, you know, although they, they got 100% of the offtake, I guess, stage one, compared to only 50% of the offtake that Piedmont got. So you, you got a better deal, I guess, you know, than Ganfeng offered Leo Lithium. You're also, you mentioned 100 kilometers from the deep water port. Leo is what, like a, a thousand? Yeah, it's, well, just, just under a thousand uh, in Mali. It's a landlocked country. So it's, yeah, it's got some big challenges from a logistics point of view, but 20 in mine life, you know, it's a big deposit, 108 million tons. And with gang thing there, I'm sure they'll get this thing into production one day, but doesn't come without its challenges. Why don't you fast forward, I guess, Len, to where you, um, I guess, where you are today, size, and you're talking about production as early as 2024, one of the few project lithium projects on our lithium scoreboard that can get into production before 2025. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, the, the PFS was a you know big moment for us, obviously. You know, it's big year with both the dual listing and the PFS um uh and delivering that to market in the time frame that we said we would. And I think importantly, you know, the 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 PFS has delivered, you know, a fantastic result that has some some fundamental differences to the updated scoping study that we put out in December last year. And it's important to understand those, those differences. But when you look at the, the valuations of our project, uh, the MPV, um, post-tax MPV and IRRs, um, you know, it really brings this project home that it's a standout, which really comes down to those fundamentals of simple mineralogy. So spodumene only, proximity to operational infrastructure, and adjacent grid power dms only process flow sheets so low power low water in a mining friendly jurisdiction of ghana with a skilled labor force right on your doorstep and people that want to come and work on this project because of where it's located they can go home to accra you know over weekends or live in cape coast or salt ponds and be home at the end of everyday shifts. So that's quite rare in the mining sector. And I think that'd be a big draw card for us. So Len, yeah, congrats on the PFS. I mean, good timing and, and great results. Just a few things to go through, I guess. Looking at about a 12 and a half year mine life, but there was a cutoff on the resource, you know, where to from here, you know, how's the drill program going? How's that progressing? I've got in my models, I think you can get to 20 years, you know, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so we started in March this year um, a 37,000 meter drill program um, that we're really on the final few holes now. So we should be finishing that one pretty shortly. And we've announced a few, uh, you know, a couple of results from that program to date. And we expect to have, you know, results, continuous news flow going through to the end of the year or leading into a resource upgrade, hopefully at the end of this year. But some, um, fantastic results outside of the the current resource footprint which will add more tons to the resource as part of this program now that thirty-seven thousand meters roughly two-thirds of that was designed as infill so it's to convert the remaining inferred on the current resource uh, which is roughly 10 million tons of inferred to convert that to indicated and there was to convert the first one and a half to two years of indicated to measured. Um, and then 
one third of that drill meterage or the remaining one third of that meterage was towards exploration drilling outside of the current resource footprint to grow the resource to add tons. So I think that we we announced roughly a, maybe a month or a bit longer ago now, uh, 69 meters at 1.34% and multiple 50 plus meter intercepts at you know 1.2% or thereabouts, um, all outside of the current resource footprint. So I'm pretty excited uh, about the additional drilling that we've got ahead of us in terms of results um, and adding you know the potential to add more tons to this resource. So you know, all going well. This the end of this year, we should should have that out, and that will then feed into the next phase of studies and, and to get us that proven reserves and to convert more of the resource into mine life. Okay, great. Just in terms of timeline to production, uh, I mean, obviously, permitting will be what it'll be, but just looking at COVID and some logistical challenges and so on, lead item and, and delivery times, are those all sort of manageable these days? Yeah, look, I think you know, our, key, our key item, obviously, is permitting. Uh, and that was um, you know, a real drive for us to get this PFS done because that is our, our first step to kicking off permitting and it allows us to start that process. And all going well, that's a 12-month timeline to be permitted. Um, obviously, that requires um, approvals, uh, government approvals, and you, know, you, you don't control those timelines, but that's what we're, we're working towards and hopefully we can achieve that. Um, alongside the government because they're very keen to see this project come into play and to demonstrate to the world that you know Ghana is open for business it's not just a gold destination and they're a critical player now in the in the in worlds in the world's pathway to decarbonization and so they're they're keen to support us and to see this project come into production um once um you know, the, the, the permitting's in. So from our project timelines, we're working towards a resource upgrade the end of this year, which will then feed into the next round of, of studies and targeting DFS completion end of second uh, quarter next year, all going well. Um, so in theory, if we're permitted by this time next year, we'd be in a position to, to break ground um, at the project site, end of 2023, and build build the plant for production mid or oh, late 2024. And that's on producing you know DMS concentrate. Um, but we also need to weigh that up around getting the the mining license application underway uh, and and locking in an ML, which is critical for for the project to come into production on the earliest possible timeline. But um, in terms of once yeah, we have secured an ML and it makes sense to look at bigger throughputs, then um, or, or you look looking at those earlier rather, um, the 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 plant the project footprint can can host that because if you're going through a larger footprint on the same mine life, your waste dumps are still the the same size. Um, you're still tracking the same volumes of SC6 and you're still looking at the same um, stockpiles at port area um, ahead of loading onto ships. But if we grow our resource materially to 
you know, um, to a 40 million ton resource, for example, then, you know, how does that look like um, uh, the, the project can still carry it? Uh, there's availability at the port um, and um, uh, there's, it's a tight area where the project is, but I think you can still, still grow, grow the footprint smartly to accommodate that. Okay, and then, um, then I guess one of the key attractive features of, of Atlantic is you still have the availability of your share of production, but you, because of low capex, uh, even with the uh, going above the 70, I mean, your share is, is really small. So um, you still have the flexibility of deciding what you're going to do with your material. Um, is something like, uh, you know, BMX, because you don't have um, big financial commitments to make into the CapEx, would you look at something like the BMX auction platform? Or are you still thinking about it? strategic partner you know where's how's that looking yeah look um we we've been so focused on delivering our pfs and the dual listing that we just um you know haven't had time to think about that although it's very high on our priority list about strategically you know what what do we do with our remaining share of of mine production so 50 percent um now look i, I think that in its own right is is highly you know strategic uh, and highly valuable and really sets us apart from our peers i believe and we shouldn't uh rush into something until we've really understood well what kind of offtake structures potentially are out there or what's important to us uh to de-risk or add value to this project further and, and for our shareholders so we, we're starting that process now to really understand structure of various offtake agreements. What What is it in a potential offtake agreement if we go there that could um, you know, add more value to us? Because as you said earlier, it's not that we're, we're looking for a lot of um, capital, um, you know, given the, the low cost and with the Piedmont agreement, the funding that we have up to 70 mil and then sharing the, the remaining overruns 50-50. So what other things can you structure and offtake that that add value? That's that's what we're we're trying to understand now uh, before we we decide on those next steps and and also you know the timing thereof because at this point in time that that 50% that we still retain is is highly strategic. So I wanted to talk about the I guess the relationship with Piedmont, you know, why did you pick Piedmont as a partner? Um, what is the joint venture? You said they're they're earning in to 50%, but they've committed $70 million, but your higher CapEx now means that, you know, Piedmont will have to put in a little bit more. You'll have to put in, a, is that 70 against the 125, meaning there's, you know, like a 55 gap that needs to be yeah. split? Right. Um, so that's a, the 27 million or so that you'd have to, um, you know, put in the, the Piedmont, you know, relationship is for the Cape coast portfolio, you know, so I forget exactly how many tons you have, like what, what you, you mentioned, Leo lithium is a hundred million ton, you know, plus deposit. 
you know, what's the scope from talking with Piedmont and Lamont Leatherman, uh, you know, who've been out there, they seem to think that there's enormous um, exploration upside uh, beyond what you, what you have, but like what you have a great project, you know, unbelievably low CapEx, unbelievably high IRR. I'm looking at, I was just doing the math. The NPV that you came out with was 1.33 billion based on, uh, you know, a one, a $1,360 Spodgmean price that's lower, you know, than Rodney, who's relatively conservative, you know, long term, you know, Spodgmean forecast. But even with that, you're at 1.3 billion. If you take your market cap, uh, you know, the pound is almost uh, at parity. <laughs> um, I was looking at your market cap is at 109, but you have about a 250 million US market cap. If 50% of that is you, it's a 500 million, you know, off of 1.3 billion, you're trading at 37% of your NPV. Um, as a business model, you know, and it, you know, if you're building a, a, a Brian integrated plant, or if you're building even the Piedmont's, you know, integrated plant, these are billion dollar, you know, projects They tend to have you know, 35, 40% IRRs here, very low CapEx, very quick payback, whereas five months, it's like as in a business plan, it's unbelievably exciting you it, one would think like you know what what you know the risk is is low um you know the re-rating potential i think is you know just on what you currently outlined is um is very attractive but you know the exploration upside and the fact that again unlike leo lithium it's hard to take over leo lithium you know if ganfeng has 100 percent, you know of stage one offtake um, and there's not much kind of optionality for them, whatever the price negotiated, they're going to, they'll get for that. But the optionality that you have on your other 50%, uh, anyway, there's a long winded kind of like intro to a question, but there's a lot out there. Just, uh, if you could talk about why Piedmont. Yeah, it's American lithium. Um, there'd been some issues in Australia with offtake agreements um, on the Chinese front. And that was, you know, something that there was a bit of concern in the market around. Uh, and he felt that this was, you know, a good solution uh, and to, to potentially, you know, de-risking this project further. So um, Piedmont were interested. They actually came to, some, to site. Uh, Lamont and Patrick came to site, spent a week on site. And they liked what they saw. Uh, and saw the ups, upside and similarities with their project at the time and proximity to where they were. So um, hence why ultimately the, the deal went ahead at the time, which you know we all thought was a fantastic deal. Pricing took off and everybody's going, man, you're crazy. Why did you give away half of the project? But I mean, things change and we're still extremely happy to have Piedmont on board. Uh, and have been um, a very useful partner to have there. And, you know, it's helped us push activities hard on the ground and has helped us to continue working at the rate we have without the need to uh, go back to market to raise capital each time. And especially, you know, when Vince passed away, because that was kind of his his bread and butter was the, the corporate side. My focus was the technical side. So... Yeah, when um, Vince passed away and it was like, well, what are we doing next? And, and I said, well, for, for me, a, a big part of it was the fact that he'd secured Piedmont, we'd secured the funding. It was really around operational delivery. That was the key focus to, to add value to this company. Um, and 
you know, that that helped me make the decision of stepping into the role that I am now. So I think that, you know, it's it's worked out really well. And uh, we we work very closely with Piedmont. Um, we have a, a monthly, uh, we've got a technical committee. I'm actually meeting the guys, uh, or Patrick from um, Piedmont tomorrow here in Sydney. Uh, we've got a technical meeting um, with those guys and a saw, plus our study team. Um, so it's going to be you know exciting meeting, and it's been really useful around their learnings on the Carolina project. And given their that step ahead of us, you know we we're now going to the next stage of their study. They've crossed a lot of those bridges, and we can learn a lot from that. So that that's been really useful. So that's the Piedmont side. So we're currently in stage two of their funding agreement. They invested. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's around 11 million uh, US into Topco, uh, which gets them just under 10% or got them just under 10% of Topco. Uh, we're now in stage two, which is 17 million US to studies, drilling and studies. It was halfway through the PFS at that stage and the DFS. So we're, we're now roughly halfway through that, a little bit more. And once that's been spent, they'll earn 22.5% at the asset level. And then dependent on those results, they can then decide, okay, we want to go to stage three, where they then fund $70 million towards CapEx. And once that's been spent, they then earn 50% at the asset level and have a right to 50% of the offtake at market rate. And we retain 50% production. Any cost overruns or underruns are shared 50-50 uh, between Atlantic and Piedmont. So that's the, the, the structure of the deal. Okay. And uh, the relationship with Asor and um, yeah. any uh, a bitter kind of community, just like there's such a shortage of spodge. I mean, you would think that, you know, the Chinese would be all over you. Yeah. Um, everybody um, has been all over us. And yes, very strong Chinese component to that. And, and now we're seeing um uh, a bigger portion of uh you know other non-chinese components but yeah as i said earlier we we're very focused on delivering our study in the dual listing uh, and and now that we can breathe again um we'll start looking at the next steps but you know we're really focused on on now uh the resource upgrade uh next stage of studies and then breaking ground towards um and permitting uh, and then mine development and production so that's really our core focus um so um a saw who have been a, a a major shareholder uh and one of the founding you know shareholders along uh, at ipo um and they've maintained their roughly 25 percent shareholding right from the IPO stage through to where we are now. They originally came in on the back of a potential iron ore discovery in a grassroots destination that didn't deliver, but like the idea at the time of Iron Ridge was like a frontier exploration vehicle, their focus and their skill sets on uh, mining and processing plants and um, marketing products. They're an iron ore, ferrochrome and manganese miner and they recently built a ferrochrome plant in Malaysia. Um, they were listed on the JSC, but then privatized, and they're a family-owned business. 
um, very big business and they had a very long working relationship with Sumitomo, who also came in on the original IPO. Um, but so I saw, um, you know, they, they, they want to see this, this project built as well. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're pushing that way now uh, and continue to de-risk this project going forwards. That's good color on S. So what's the percentage ownership and do they have representation on the board? Yeah, so Asor have maintained their corner right from the, the IPO. So in that order of 25%, I think they're just currently sitting a bit under that, but 23, uh, but always around that mark. And they've got um, two nominees to the board um, that have changed over the years, um, but uh, have always been there and supportive. So being a, a you know a very loyal uh, and a supportive shareholder from from the, the from the get go. Okay, so there, there's no risk of uh, you know someone kind of coming in here and and and, and picking you off cheaply when you have <laughs> such vested interested parties that that understand yeah. the the undervaluation. Right. I can't imagine Asor would would be selling at, at anywhere near. Um, you know these price levels then obviously the asx listing looks to have gone well well done on that timing you certainly got it through in in, in good time i guess as a company expectation you know what are you hoping for you're hoping in time that sort of trading volumes and ownership gravitate towards the asx yeah look so the company is domiciled in australia even though we were listed the name at the time and that was by virtue of these grassroots iron ore projects in West Africa. But uh, a large chunk of our, our shareholders, you know, roughly a third are Australian. So it kind of, you know, for many reasons, it made sense to to bring it here uh, and put bring it onto the ASX, notwithstanding, um, you know, there are not many comparables on AIM in the lithium sector. Um, and UK market is maybe a bit more generalist uh, and you tend, I think, to see more, although we've got a very loyal and supportive retail shareholder base in the UK uh, and we continue to nurture the relationship with those guys because they've been very supportive throughout the, the company's history. Um, but overwhelmingly, the investment uh, or investor profile in the UK on the mining stocks is, is more generalist and at the bigger and more dividend paying type companies. So it's, it's a hard, hard space to crack. And that's really changed over the last 10 years. Whereas when you look on ASX currently, especially in the lithium sector, you know, it's, it's, it's had a massive run and you can see multiple lithium companies that have performed very well in the ASX. So I think, you know, it's um, several, you know, number one, we're domiciled here. All the key management lives here. Uh, number two, the ASX sector on lithium stocks has performed very well. And number three, a large chunk of our existing shareholders residents here in Australia. So, you know, it's all of those reasons made it really compelling to come on to the ASX. And you're listing on the ASX. I think I, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but you didn't raise any new capital. But you know, Vince's estate, you, you placed some yeah. shares. It was like five million dollars worth of shares yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So it's um is yeah very so it's really managing Vince's estate and building a uh quid market here in Australia. 
and coming onto the A6. And we thought it was a very neat way to do that uh, without diluting existing shareholders. And to basically bring on a large portion of Vince's estate into shareholders' hands here and create that market that way in addition to uh, management with options that they, they couldn't exercise. So, yeah, I think that was a, um, you know, a, a good way to, to come on to the ASX and, and to create that, that market here. Uh, and um, we'll see see how that performs. So we came on, um, you know, there's a slight difficult day coming on, but I, I think, um, you know, we've seen our share price improve uh, here on the ASX. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how that performs going forward as we get the story more widely known here in the in the Australian retail sector. Well, well, as good a name as Atlantic is, uh, your ticker symbol A11, I think, couldn't be better. <laughs> Hat tip to uh, to you on that. You came onto market in a difficult week, but any ASX, uh, you know, investors out there that don't know Atlantic Lithium, um, but have had some experience with hard rock spodumene deposits and then had a great success in Australia. This is like a no brainer. You know, I'm sure yeah, that your, no, your, your, your hot, your hot copper, you know, following should, you know, catalyze. And uh, yeah, so I, I wouldn't expect anyway, we think that a re-rating is justified and uh, again, not investment advice, but of all of the companies, you know, we're, we're, you know, the complexities of various stories kind of out there relative to their valuations. This one, again, eye popping IRRs, NPV, you know, relative value and, you know, de-risked partnership, you know, with optionality. Anyway, thank you very much, Len. Uh, it's been great to be working with you. It's been a challenging year on both sides of this um, screen. Um but, uh, you know, look forward to uh, meeting you sometime in the future. Maybe, uh, you know, you could visit North Carolina instead of, you know, Pat Brindle coming to um, Sydney. And, uh, and, yeah. and then we could, we could uh, take you to some face-to-face like -face meetings in, in New York. Excellent. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Rodney. Great to see you guys. And, um, yeah, look forward to meeting face-to-face. -face. <laughs>